0: Taking back control so that you can start living the life you choose and not the one chosen by your fears. Hello, and welcome to episode 5. Today I'm joined by Lisa White, who is a licensed psychotherapist and clinical social worker with over 20 years of practice in community and hospital settings. She is a graduate of Smith College uh, School for Social Work, one of the oldest graduate programs in psychiatric social work, and where Sigmund Freud first lectured in the US. She was trained in psychodynamic and analytic psychotherapy. She now uses the principles grounded in CBT, DBT, and trauma-focused therapies to care for patients facing the most severe mental illnesses to those coping with daily challenges of anxiety and depression. She now works for a large behavioural health provider in the US, maintains a private practice and provides consulting and supervision services for staff at Safe Place International, an NGO caring for LGBT refugees in Turkey and Greece. In this episode, we discuss Lisa's experience of working with people with severe mental health problems such as schizophrenia and how she's helped them to to learn to overcome their battles with anxiety that they tend to have about their mental health problems. Lisa gives loads of really practical tips for dealing with anxiety. And we also discuss in detail panic, And uh, Lisa again gives us some really good examples of ways that you can deal with panic so that when you're in a situation when the panic is coming up, you have some some really practical, useful skills that will help you to be able to deal with that. It's a really interesting episode and Lisa's in-depth knowledge and years of experience really shine through. I really hope you enjoy it. And remember, if you'd like to get in touch with me, please do. You can contact me at Instagram at UK, or you can go to my website, www.robertjamescoaching.com. Many thanks. How are you doing, Lisa?
1: I'm fine, thank you. It's a great day.
0: It certainly is. Thanks a lot for coming on the podcast.
1: You're welcome. I'm glad to be here.
0: <laughs> okay, so to start off with, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and and your your history, like working um, uh, with mental health problems?
1: Sure. Well, um, to get. Far back there, I actually had no interest in psychology whatsoever mm. when I was a college student. I actually was interested, um, much to the chagrin of my father, in um, poetry and philosophy. And so my undergraduate degree was in poetry and philosophy. Wow. I didn't know how to write a a a sestina for instance (laughs) not a really useful skill and so when I graduated from college I had a little bit of a crisis and I said well what am I going to do well it just so happened I was almost already married at that point and my father-in-law was a psychotherapist and Mm. so I thought well maybe I'll be a psychotherapist and so I went back and did some study and prerequisites and then applied to several schools graduate schools and um, found out that I really loved it Um, it was the closest thing to uh, reading and writing and um, you know discovering people was uh, in psychotherapy it's very similar to that
0: yeah absolutely fantastic yeah yeah. so it was a family influence It, it was
1: definitely a family influence I didn't even actually it, it, it wasn't really conscious. My, fa- my father was a pharmacist and my mother was um, a bookkeeper. Um, but um, my uh, uncle was a psychologist and had worked for the VA um, for his entire career. And both of his daughters, he had four children, both of his daughters were clinical social workers mm. as well and uh, working in, in different types of fields, whether at one psychotherapist and one in victim advocacy.
0: Okay. Okay yeah, wow, really, really interesting. Yeah. Um, great. So can you tell us about like um, what type of therapy uh, you, you you work in?
1: Sure. Well, um, uh, most recently, um, I worked in a psychiatric hospital in the US. Mm. And psychiatric hospitals have changed since I even went to graduate school. Is there there are very few places where people, where people are hospitalized on a long-term basis. Mm. And I worked at a hospital that was a short-term hospitalization program for people who were in crisis, were either suicidal or psychotic, for instance. And they were... Um, uh, there for anywhere from a few days to a few weeks um, at a time to get stabilized. And my role there was I was a group psychotherapist. And so I conducted a lot of groups, sometimes three groups, four groups a day with people um, in an effort to stabilize them and um, get them on their way, assess them, stabilize them and get them on their way.
0: Wow, that sounds really intense.
1: It was. It was extremely tiring, but Mm. um, it had um, followed a a bit of time. I'm going to have to pause for a second. Okay. So um my um my job at the hospital as a group psychotherapist had followed a period of time where um I was only practicing part-time and I hadn't been involved in starting uh being involved in starting a Waldorf school a Steiner school when oh, my wow. children were little and so I got back in I got back into the you know the thick of it the weeds of it and um uh, you know, uh, I, I was so happy that I didn't forget anything that I had learned mm. Um you know, I was afraid that having children and focusing on the school was, maybe I'd forgotten something, and I don't think I did.
0: That oh, that's great, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so you worked primarily with, with people with quite severe mental health problems?
1: For the most part, or people for one reason or another were in a period of crisis, but usually um, people um, who presented at the hospital uh, or were remanded to the hospital involuntarily, mm. um, were had to have a, a usually had a major mental illness such as one of the bipolar disorders, yeah. um, or schizophrenia, or um, severely depressed or severely anxious. Um, often, uh, maybe a substance abuse problem or lack of social support. Lack of support was involved in yeah, it sure. too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay, and so I I imagine, obviously, because the podcast we're we're focusing on OCD and anxiety, but I imagine a lot of these people had uh, very, very serious uh, anxiety problems that were co-occurring with the other issues that they were having.
1: Absolutely, anxiety actually is a sort of cardinal symptom.
0: Mm. Um,
1: And um, uh, for any kind of um, uh, emotional um, or mental health problems, Uh, Just because we have uh, people who have schizophrenia or a bipolar illness, for for instance, may have persistent and chronic anxiety. But just because you have anxiety doesn't mean you have bipolar illness or schizophrenia. Um, Everybody, uh, well, I don't want to say everybody, but uh, probably everybody has experienced a degree of anxiety um, yeah, sure. in their life yeah. um, it's just a matter of how persistent it is you know how frequent um, how severe the anxiety is and what it's if there's an underlying cause for it but I like to think of it as the brain is not at rest so
0: absolutely yeah uh, I think that's definitely true for, for so many people with anxiety is that they're, they're kind of stuck in their head and their their brain their brain is just not leaving leaving them alone you know they they're worrying and stressing you know almost like 24 hours a day mm-hmm. about different things and and that's that's causing the problems that like they can't get out of their heads
1: right and there can be you know it's interesting because there can be um like It's really almost a physiological experience because when we have anxiety, oftentimes we have um, a physical experience of that. When we think of the acute anxiety or a panic attack, Mm. that's really manifested in physical symptoms, right?
2: Absolutely. So
1: people, I want to take a panic attack, for instance, or an anxiety attack. There's different words for it. Mm. Um, Of course, there's official words or clinical terms for it. Um, And... um, People can have a panic attack without developing a panic disorder. Hmm. Um, uh, Having a panic attack can be a very disorienting experience, um, a very frightening experience. In fact, people sometimes will have one, and they present at the emergency room thinking that they're having a heart attack. It's when they come in an uncontrolled fashion, and we develop the fear of the fear, because yeah. that's what anxiety does. That's Absolutely. what panic does. It creates yeah. this sense of doom and fear. I'm going to die. Mm. I got to get out of here. This yeah. is going to last forever. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so you have the cognitive process, um, the cognitions related to that, but then you also have the physiological experience, mm. and um, and the fact that it sometimes can get come out of the blue, mysteriously, can you know set up a whole series of. Um, Events and cognitions that uh, it becomes more chronic or yeah. a, more of a, a clinical, what we sure. would call a clinical problem. Sure, sure. Yeah. And,
0: and and how would you work with people who who present with uh, like a, a panic disorder like this, but someone who also has another mental health issue as well? But if they come to the hospital and they're 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 working with you and they clearly have other mental health issues, but. The major issue that you're dealing with right now could be the panic. Like, right. how would you how would you help them in that, that situation? That's
1: a, that's a great question, Rob. And, and earlier today, I was just doing some supervision with a gal who who runs a refugee shelter in yeah. Athens. Yeah, and she was asking about presenting concerns because they're super complex clients that they have um, mm. who've had, you know, terrible things happen to them and terrible psychosocial problems going on in the moment, and. Um, I always start with the presenting problem, um, and with the presenting. Sometimes that's the presenting symptom because that's why people come to a um, a psychotherapist or a psychologist or a psychiatrist, mm. is because they're experiencing such distress, and um, we want to alleviate that distress, um, alleviate that distress. So, bipolar illness, for instance, is um, um, something that people have it, they accept it, and they accept the. At some point, that it's a lifelong issue. Mm. So um, that can get uh, better. It can get a little bit worse, but that you manage it over lifelong. Um, they can have a panic attack. So you want to deal with that. You know, want to deal with that first.
2: Absolutely.
1: So number one, we have to do an assessment.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: and and f- and get the bigger picture of what's mm. going on, but to treat it specifically, the first thing we do, um, what you know, I treated this a lot in group or presented this in group, also um, uh, to individuals as well, is to. <laughs> that's Bruno. <laughs> Hang on. So the first thing we do, um, whether it's in group or individually with someone who's experiencing. Um, acute anxiety, or what we call panic attacks, is to basically have an educational process. And in group, It was kind of fun how I did it because we would go around and I would say, I know people have like a PhD in anxiety here or panic and, you know, kind of to uh, be a little humorous about it. And so we'd go over all of the symptoms, all of the physical symptoms that people have during anxiety um, and um, list those out. And so they could range anywhere from people's vision narrowing, things going dark, people sometimes pass out, of Mm. course their heart is beating fast, yeah. they're turning red, et cetera. So we go over all of those physical symptoms. Yeah. So that was the first thing. The second thing um, we do is um, we talk about the thoughts that you have when you're starting off that, uh, when you're starting to have those symptoms. And the thoughts that people have oftentimes are, oh my God, um, it's happening again. Oh, my God, um, I'm going to die. Yeah. Oh, my God, I got to get out of here. It can
0: be absolutely terrifying, a panic yeah. attack. It exactly. can be. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: And so those I call, I say, so we have these symptoms that we've outlined. We have these thoughts that get generated when we start to have those symptoms. Mm. And um, um, we develop a fear of the fear. So yeah. we're afraid of it. Yeah. Um, and... Um, and what what um, what people um, what I tell them is that these thoughts that they have are illusions mm. that the physiological state brings on. Yeah. Because in panic, yeah. you're not going to die. You actually don't got to get out of there. You don't go, have to go anywhere. Mm. And it's not going to last forever because yeah. I show them on a chart. Actually, panic attacks only last about anywhere between two and ten minutes yeah now some people experience one panic attack after another um, but mostly it's that they have a single panic attack yeah between two and ten minutes yeah and so I show them a, a, a bell curve chart you know of how it lasts it's at the beginning where they start to feel it maybe maybe they're conscious of it or maybe they're not conscious of it yeah it comes out of the blue yeah it reaches a peak and then it dissipates yeah and so I draw all of that out for them as one of the first steps or, you know, get them to talk about it, which helps them lose their fear and dispel um, some of the um, illusions that are um, that are created um, as part of that physiological process.
0: Okay. So you think like psych education is really, really important in helping them to understand what's actually going on with the physiology, what's happening in their head, and so when they understand exactly what's going on, then that helps them to be able to kind of deal with it better.
1: Right. That's the first step, because you have to remember is that um, you have to dispel any kind of false beliefs, um, uh, whether they're conscious or unconscious, that have been developed around that, around this experience that they might feel embarrassed about or shame or think that they're going crazy when mm. they're not it's just an experience mm. that that they're having yeah and you have to take into account that um, <laughs> you know that um, they're only in the therapy office a very short time um, you know uh, compared to the rest of their lives so you, people have to have those tools and information um, yeah. and then if the t- specific tool for um, uh, calming down and re-regulating themselves, which I'll talk about in, in, a, in a second, yeah. doesn't work. Then sometimes people have other ways that they've found, um, that they maybe read about or that they've developed over time, that they can re-regulate themselves and calm themselves down. Yeah. But the key is is not um, you know is dispelling the fear of the fear.
0: So. Yeah, absolutely. About accepting that fear, mm-hmm. you no, know? accepting the fact that you're you're having a panic attack. There's nothing you can actually do about that in that moment. Mm-hmm. Your physiology for whatever reason is is up and your heart is beating fast and That's you know, right. and if you start to fight against that, you're gonna make it worse.
1: That's exactly right. You fight against it, it make, makes it worse. So I tell them a little bit about the history of how it, because it gives people comfort that they're not going crazy of how this might happen. Because a lot of people will say there's cued panic ta- attacks and uncued panic attacks. I myself have had in my life two cued panic attacks, and w- it, one of them is hilarious. I used to tell, well, it wasn't was not funny at the
2: time, no. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but in retrospect, it was hilarious. There mm. was a peeping tom at a window, um, when I was on the toilet. <laughs> and so, and I flew into an absolute panic attack where I couldn't, um, <laughs> I couldn't speak. And my panic actually, um, uh, triggered my friend's panic when I couldn't explain oh, what no. was going on. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was like a scene out of a movie. <laughs> um, uh, and, uh, so with cued panic attacks and uncued panic attacks. Um, so, a cued panic attack is when we can see what might have caused it. So, mm. maybe we're doing a presentation and we started to get nervous and anxious. And then when we got up there, we started breathing funny and our narrow uh, our vision started to narrow and we felt yeah. like we were going to have a heart attack. Yeah, so, yeah. that's a cued panic attack. We kind of know what the circumstances were. Okay, yeah. The uncued panic attack is when someone doesn't know why. They're just. And this let's say they're in the grocery store and um, and they're in the, you know, tuna aisle yeah. and suddenly um, they start to feel that little feeling that they get. Maybe the vision narrows, maybe the sound changes, yeah. maybe yeah, yeah, their yeah. heart rate goes up. Yeah. And they and they say, whether it's conscious or unconsciously in their head, oh, it's happening again. Yeah it's happening again Yeah. which then then with that
0: sets the whole thing in motion exactly it sets you're
1: familiar with this aren't you Rob? absolutely (laughs) (laughs) it sets the whole thing in motion yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so I usually tell a story so that um, you know, in group, because of the fast-paced nature of mm. uh, this particular hospital setting, and yeah. we had to develop a rapport. You know, mm. I would tell a funny story about myself, or a funny story about a non-patient, someone who um, wasn't a patient, and um, um, and then uh, you know, to uh, sort of to, to to you know, to show them that you know people have panic attacks you yeah. know it's yeah, not yeah, a yeah, terrible yeah. thing you're not crazy you're not yeah. so different yeah 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 um, it's just that maybe you have gotten caught up in a cycle and haven't known what to do about it
0: yeah. okay yeah
1: and so then I say okay so we're going to, I'm going to give you, whoop,
0: just uh, just for everyone who's listening in, if you can hear the sounds of a dog that sounds like it's very, very sad and, and having a terrible time, it's absolutely fine. It's my puppy Bruno, but for some reason he's under the table causing absolute chaos.
1: Rick, he's very excited to see me.
2: <laughs> <laughs> he's a very excited puppy. And
1: he wonders why I'm not paying attention to, to him and not, paying attention to this black microphone in front of me. So, So, um, so the the sort of I guess third step that I would take is um, to say, hey, here's an idea, a little trick, so that you become uh, a master of your panic attacks versus the panic attacks becoming a master of you. Mm. Not going to promise that you're never going to have another panic attack again. It's that you um, will have more. You know what they are now, and then here's a tool that might help to alleviate. Um, the intensity and the severity and the frequency yeah. of this um, thing you're having that interferes with your life and is a big pain in your, in your bottom. Yeah, so,
0: absolutely, yeah. yeah.
1: So um, the tool um, that um, I suggest is that it's kind of old school, but like I said, my father-in-law and my uncle were psychologists, so I got a, a few tips from them along yeah, the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, the, <laughs>
0: the oldies are sometimes the best. No, right, so.
1: right. You have to have a wristwatch. With a second hand, right? I suppose you could do it on your mobile phones um, with the timer, but there's just something nice about a wristwatch. I think it's a little bit more grounding. Yeah. So let's say that you're in the supermarket and um, and you feel it coming on. You're yeah. aware of like the the earliest manifestation the earliest okay. symptom
0: so you might just kind of catch your breath suddenly a bit a bit quicker than you'd like to or you feel your heart beating a bit or suddenly your hands feel a bit kind of you know sweaty or something and and yeah
1: exactly exactly yeah exactly and so and catching something at its earliest possible manifestation whether you're talking about panic or or mm. A temper tantrum, yeah. right, is probably mm. um, probably uh, good general advice. Yeah. So that's exactly right, Rob. And so, um, so just stop what you're doing for a moment. Mm. You don't have to run anywhere. And with your wristwatch, you take a look at it, and you focus on that second hand and see, in fact, how long it's going to last. You're okay. becoming a student. So you concentrate very carefully on that ticking second hand.
0: That's brilliant. Yeah, that makes sense. So you're becoming like more of a scientist interested in what's going on.
1: That's right. And it's calming you down because you're focusing on this and you're not focusing on the symptoms because what's happening also with anxiety is we're getting that over-focus and that over-attention on the symptoms and getting caught up in that. Mm. So, you know, we call things mindfulness and this and that nowadays, but this is just focusing and breathing, slowing No, down for me, breathing. that is a
0: bit of a mindfulness technique, for sure. Because it's kind of getting yourself out of your head a little bit. And uh, the, one of the big things here, I think, is, is you're becoming inquisitive about your anxiety mm-hmm. and about what's happening. You're kind of, instead of thinking, oh, I don't want to feel it, you're kind of saying... I'm gonna feed it and I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of time and see how long this lasts for. Right. And by having that kind of slightly different approach to it, you're kind of, you're kind of saying to yourself, it's okay to have this. That's you're right. making space for it. You're That's kind right. of allowing it to be there.
1: Right. You're diminishing the fear
0: yeah yeah uh, yeah around it yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah yeah and you know just by nature it's hard to do two things at once <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> we,
1: through our life we try to do it we don't yeah do it yeah yeah, well. yeah. But, that's especially
0: true for me but uh, the, right, maybe for other people too
1: at the supermarket <laughs> we're trying to we're, we're going to stop shopping for which is the best brand of tuna for a moment mm. and we're going to stop everything and we're just going to look at our watch and it's also diminishes the embarrassment because oftentimes people feel embarrassed by this and no one's going to know what you're doing because everybody's looking at, like, their phones nowadays. They're just mm. stopping in the middle of everything. Yeah. And the way, usually.
0: <laughs> looking yeah. at their phone. Very true. Very yeah. true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And um, could you tell us a little bit about how you think anxiety and depression are related? Because obviously the, the, the two of them go together.
1: They do. And I'm not going to sing a song here, Rob, but this is what I say to my my, my clients anxiety and depression are like love and marriage they go together like a horse and carriage (laughs) which is an old song it's it's on an american television so a sitcom but it's an old song my mother used to sing yeah so basically meaning that um anxiety and depression go together um as a matter of fact um in the last revision of the dsm i think um, they were really wanting to add a diagnosis called anxiety-depression disorder or depression-anxiety disorder. I don't know, and it somehow got edited out. But clinicians know, um, people have been practicing that um, you can't—you usually have one, you have the other. Yeah. Um, Anxiety—if you have um, prolonged anxiety prolonged anxious states, mm. um, um, uh, say let's you have a tremendous amount of stress. Uh, 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 problems or emotional burdens, yeah um, um, oftentimes um, that can lead to an anxious state. If it becomes a chronic anxious state, often that leads to a depression.
2: Mm, yeah. not,
1: not necessarily a severe depression, but a depression. Mm. The brain is not at not rest, not at rest for prolonged periods of time. Yeah. And um, then a depression can develop. So, um, so it's, it, it's it's pretty clear. Like I said to people, clinicians, and it was so clear in the research that a diagnosis was to be added. The medications that are used to um, treat depression, um, and there's a couple of different um, generations of antidepressants. But yeah. let's just talk about the newer ones, the mm. SSRIs, mm. um, um, etc. Yeah. Um, also treat, um, the symptoms of depression, some better than others. Um, Mm. and so, oh, excuse me, did I say also treat the symptoms of anxiety? Yes. Um, they're used for depression, but they treat the symptoms of anxiety as well. Yeah. And so it, it seems to uh, be effective in that way. Mm. So, um, again, um, when I'm working with somebody, um, especially if someone is, uh, you know, new to seeking some sort of help or, uh, maybe knows only a little bit or not too much about what they might be experiencing, I have to start out in an assessment of course, to see what the source of it is, because if it's someone who may have bipolarities or a substance abuse problem, um, it may it's going to be different how it's approached, but let's just say it's straight anxiety and depression. Yeah. Um, and um, um, I'm going to start out with a psychoeducational or assessment piece and a psychoeducational piece of that. Okay. Is the basics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And um, and uh, with I like to see if, if everybody who's listening could picture a circle. Um, on a page and um, uh, in the circle on the top half of the circle picture a bunch of squiggly scratchy lines on the top
2: Mm.
0: and
1: that's anxiety okay so the symptoms anxiety which we know now because we've discussed Rob can throw out some other symptoms out there as well (laughs) okay and um, behind that the scratchy lines to the um, counterclockwise to the top Mm. of, of, of the circle, um, are what I call problems, emotional burdens, and stress and stressors. And so I draw little lines like steps on the circle just to illustrate those. Um, It could be financial stresses, it could be work stresses, it could be emotional burdens that we're carrying from childhood or from um, maybe traumas even, maybe not something that caused symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder, but things that were traumatic and um, and very difficult. Hmm. And so we carry those and we experience stress uh, ex- we can experience anxiety if those emotional burdens problems stresses are not addressed so and stresses could be maybe we do have a chemical imbalance you yeah. know um, as well it's not just outside stresses there could be internally based physiological brain stresses so to speak
2: yeah
1: um, if they're not addressed, we're going to ex- continue to experience that anxiety. Mm. No,
0: absolutely. No. So, so you think medication then is is definitely helpful for some people?
1: I think medication can be helpful for some people, but if but if they're in um, you know uh, super high pressure situations, maybe they're drinking too much, etc. Medications aren't going to do much. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, absolutely. Yeah, you it's know, like
0: you're can- if you're taking antidepressants, but then you're drinking like you know a couple bottles of wine every right. evening then it's okay. obviously going to have maybe right. a, a more negative like a more negative effect right. on you
1: or if we have social anxiety let's <clears throat> say because of you know some core beliefs that were mm. and core beliefs and core distortions that we're carrying around with us. We have yeah. the social anxiety that we've been carrying. Medication is not going to do a, whole, you know, it's not going to be the magic pill to mm. get rid of the anxiety. It's going to be a combination of medications and specific kinds of psychotherapies uh, and tools that might be helpful for that individual person. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, for me, like medication is at best a, a band aid. Mm. Um, and oftentimes just a placebo. Uh, I'm sure for some people there is a chemical effect that, that does help, you know, maybe boosting the serotonin in mm-hmm. some way does, does impact and improve, yeah. improve the situation for people. Mm-hmm. But from my own personal experience, mm-hmm. medication wasn't particularly helpful for me mm-hmm. uh, compared to some of the um, therapy I work that I did with various therapists over the years. Right. That therapy was the thing that made the difference in, you know, changing my thinking style, my, my, my habits of, of thinking yes. over time. That was the thing that made the difference. Right.
1: And as you know, from the experience of it is changing our habits of thinking, our mm. automatic thinking uh, and uh, behavioral habits are um, easier said than done and take a long time off and 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 oftentimes if we're experiencing outside stresses um, that we um, maybe we have a period of abatement of this uh, of the symptoms but then something comes up and they might come you know come back so we have to either relearn or revisit those skills and kind of get a restart on things as well
2: yeah yeah Absolutely. I think
1: I think one of the misconceptions I I, I happen because I worked in a psychiatric hospital. I I happen to like medications, but, but, um, (laughs) but however, there is a limit to medications for anxiety and depression. Hmm. Um, oftentimes what they'll do is they'll give a person just enough of a break to put their brain you know, at rest again, um, so that they can start to implement some of those tools and make some of those changes uh, with the help of Absolutely, either yeah. self-help or with the help of a, a psychotherapist. Oh, I
0: completely agree with that. I think yeah. for for a lot of people with OCD, that's where um, that's where it can be very helpful to to use medication because right. for some people the symptoms are so strong. It's it's you know at such a chronic uh, level. That you kind of can't function normally at all. So right. to be able to start kind of thinking in a different way and to start doing um, ERP or to start doing acceptance commitment therapy when you're struggling so much with the anxiety from the OCD, right. it's incredibly hard. Yep. So yeah, if you can use that band aid, if you can use the medication, mm. you know, even if it's only for six months or so, right. um, to get you to a place where you're able to start doing the therapy, yeah. then that's that's great.
1: And it's interesting the six month. Uh, um, uh, mark, or uh, nine month or a year is mm. when we can have the realistic expectations for change. Yeah, um, and so um, you know we have we we want to get better quickly, but really it takes a l- quite some time to learn these and apply these mm. and actually see what's going on in our life. You know, our, our life as a as a whole.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Now the process of getting better from anxiety disorders is. It's not something that just happens overnight. It absolutely takes time and and, and it's constant management. It's not like you suddenly arrive to a place and like, that's it. Now, like my OCD is cured and I can get on with life. It's like, no, it's like, you know, like when you're feeling good, you probably won't notice the OCD at all or Mm -hmm. or, or your social anxiety or whatever. But when you're kind of run down and you're tired and you're... These are the times when it's going to come back. It and if you're not ready, ahead. if you don't have the kind of... You know, if you haven't done the work and the therapy and if you don't have skills that you can turn to in those moments, that's when you can suddenly get stuck again in, in, and you know bogged down with the, the problems that you're having with the anxiety.
1: Right. right. And that's... I think it's why it's important <coughs> to... That educational piece is important because people who struggle with the multiplicity of issues, including OCD or social anxiety, mm. they can often see themselves as a failure if they if they don't have the right kind of um, psychoeducation and relapse prevention or relapse awareness. And then they, they think, well, nothing works. Mm. You know, nothing works. I always have this. Yeah. Well, they've started out with the... Uh, and oftentimes, it's a failure of the, you know, of education mm. of it is start off with a false idea that there's going to be a, there's going to be a cure. It's going to go away, um, forever.
0: Yeah. So that's yeah.
1: oftentimes why psychotherapies and psychiatry gets a bad rap. They're like, well, we see it as the same way we would see an acute infection that, for you know, you use antibiotics. Well, the infection's gone. Psychiatry and the brain don't work that way. Absolutely. I mean, if it did, we'd I'd be happy. You know, well, here, take this.
0: Yeah, right. absolutely, and, and probably we you know wouldn't be in need of so many psy- psychologists and therapists out there because uh, the medication would be solving all the problems.
1: Right, right. It doesn't. It just it, it helps helps you to manage your symptoms. Mm. So,
0: and you were talking there about psych education and how important that is. Mm-hmm. Do you think? Um, I'm obviously I'm a teacher myself, and uh, I know for a fact that um, in schools we don't teach uh, our children and, and young people anything about um like mental health issues and and how to be more resilient and how to deal with anxiety and depression and and other problems do you think it would be a good thing if if that was introduced into the curriculum
1: yeah wouldn't that be nice yeah wouldn't that be nice it's complex though i Mm. you know it's um you know part of my background is a really super strong background in clinical social work i went to the oldest school in the U.S. for yeah. clinical social work mm. and uh, that Freud lectured at, at. Oh, wow. Yeah, and back in the day, I guess <laughs> it was 1920s or teens. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, so, um, you know, that background leads me you know, when you see children and you see the complex environments that they come from and the mm. stresses that they endure and that their families are enduring, yeah. you know, I think schools, at least my experience of um, public schools in the U.S., um, my limited experience, you know, I had children in public schools, I worked to start a school, I was, you know, involved, do so much for the kids who are presenting with such complex problems mm. and stresses. Yeah. However, pieces on mental health would be helpful so that the child themselves can know, um, possibly that they're not alone, that they're not going crazy, you know, um, that, and that they can get some help with it. And, you know, the counselors, um, the guidance counselors and social workers are sorely overworked in, in the school systems and in the U S and, You know the poor school systems have more problems because there's more complex problems Mm. when you throw in a little poverty.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now it's the same in the UK. Yeah, exactly the same kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, I I think uh, you know many teachers are amazing in that regard. Yeah. You know they put in like the extra time to 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 really help. Um, spot the children who are struggling yeah. and to, you know, to get the educational psychologists involved and yeah. to get other agencies involved to, to try and help those those uh, vulnerable children with right. mental health problems. Right. And that's fantastic. Um, but I was more like kind of thinking it from my perspective. I mm-hmm. kind of, um, I developed kind of OCD when I was 16. Mm-hmm but I had no idea at the time that it was OCD. I just had this intense anxiety, but I didn't want to open up uh, to anybody about it because uh, at the time I thought it was like, you know, showing weakness and speaking to somebody about it was not what a a young man would like, you know, would do. Right. And so I kind of kept it to myself and I didn't tell anyone about kind of what was going on inside and all these kind of like terrible thoughts and like obsessions I was having and, you know I, I, I was completely lost. I thought I was getting crazy and um, and it, yeah, I kept it all inside for years. And I think if they gave some kind of basic um, education on on you know kind of the symptoms of anxiety and some of the different kind of basic disorders that people can develop, it would help people out a lot because uh, for a lot of people who seem to have OCD, for example, Uh, A lot of them don't get um, diagnosed until they're in their kind of you know like mid to late twenties or even thirties.
1: I think it could. You know, I've never studied you know uh, studied implementation of like uh, educational programs, Mm. but it it certainly seems like it could because it's um, you know what remains hidden gets worse.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know,
1: and um, and you know the it gets habituated, Mm. um, and certainly. Um, early intervention and the fact that um, these kind of um, issues do develop oftentimes at puberty especially when there's a real strong biological base for them mm. um, whether it's um, severe anxiety OCD um, bipolarities you're going to see some of the um, symptoms uh, fairly early on um, they're not it's not going to be a full-blown and um, with the psychotic illnesses as, as well you're going to see you know you're going to see it, the ones that are biologically stronger and it's important to intervene early.
0: Absolutely. So yeah. it is. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that Thanks. would be great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It would, it would be <laughs> in great. In an ideal world. In the, yeah, in a perfect world. <laughs> right. Um, so with uh, the patients that you've worked with over, over the years, have you seen any like dramatic turnarounds um, in regards to like, it could be to do with bipolar or schizophrenia or it could be to do with anxiety?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I um, I don't know if it's so much dramatic turnaround, but mm. what really struck me in working at the hospital yeah. um, was the absolute brilliance of some people, um, uh, in particular, I think, with bipolar illness, of figuring out and being able to describe what's going on in them and then developing these ways um, to manage it Manage very severe case of this particular disease
0: right okay
1: um and so one in particular I'll I'll, i'll tell so i was more impressed and it like opened up my eyes to people oftentimes we would also see people so just to say a little bit about bipolar illness bipolar illness is um it's a sort of a spectrum disorder it can be different types of severity um, it's inherited. You'll see it mm. in generations. It's related to schizophrenia. Yeah. Um, it seems to be. Yeah. The, the, so so says the science.
2: Yeah.
1: And um, um, it's accompanied by tremendous a, a, a particular type of anxiety. Yeah. Um, is where the mind runs constantly, and mm. the, people will describe it as a treadmill. Um, um, and uh, it's accompanied by those physical physiological symptoms. So it's not even like for instance with worry and anxiety it's not even clear thoughts or clear singular thoughts mm. that are repetitive it's sometimes many thoughts sort of talking in your head at once
0: yeah so no? yeah
2: yeah
1: and and so I remember this woman who, um, in the hospital, sometimes people had to do medication changes because you can o- medications for bipolar illnesses and psychotic illnesses need to be adjusted probably every six months or so. Sometimes it takes a couple of years to figure out which one is going to actually work. Yeah. Sometimes side, you know, the side effects are not tolerable. Hmm. and so um, so we would see people in who for instance had been on lithium throughout their life and it was very effective for their symptoms um, but then um, they had to go off of it because of um, you know their kidneys were get, ha- getting some damage from it yeah and so they'd be in the hospital and we'd try to restabilize them on a new medication sometimes they'd be in and out of the hospital a bit for six months or so. Hmm but this one woman was this very kind of case where she had been stable on a medication but she'd also developed like these incredibly coping skills for an interpersonal skills she had children she had you know a husband a job yeah. the whole nine yards
2: yeah yeah yeah
1: um and she said um i remember she said like when i have um uh when my i can i know my symptoms are coming back when my thoughts are like ducks quacking in a pond except they're all quacking at once,
2: mm. you know? So yeah, 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 yeah.
1: I loved it. I think it was my <laughs> poetry background that I, I that, yeah. that one stuck in, uh, stuck in my head. So over the years, I would have people who just had incredible insight and incredible coping skills mm. um, for, to deal with uh, these issues that um, have uh, a pers- persistency, let's call it. I don't want to okay. call it chronic, yeah. you, even though we do clinically, but yeah. they had persistency.
0: Okay. Is a, that a and word? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, persistence. Yeah, persistence. Persistency. <laughs> yeah. <That was> <laughs> I have to ask the teacher here.
1: <laughs> Is that really a word? So, yeah. Okay.
0: And, and very complex as well. Obviously, like each individual with bipolar. I guess similar to other disorders, but it, particularly I, I imagine with schizophrenia yes. and, and bipolar, they, they can yes. be so complex.
2: Yeah, people
0: the, are
1: people first. And then when they are struggling with this particular problem that mm. has a biological, neurological core to it, um, they're people first. And the manifestation is, you know, uh, and how we're going to approach it and deal with it is really about the individual.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Did you want me to say a little bit more about the depression and anxiety uh, cycle? Uh, so what with, with the cycle of anxiety and depression, when we visualize a circle so yeah. um, and we have that anxiety at the top, yeah. we have the emotional burdens, um, the problem stresses over to the left yeah. that are that are behind or fueling the anxiety, our yeah. unresolved yeah. Uh, problems. Chronic anxiety is the brain at not at rest, and it also puts us into a fight, flight, or freeze modes, uh, mode. Okay, yes. Oftentimes. Yeah, yeah. That anxiety. Yeah. And so some people go into the fight or fight mode. Yeah. And they are going to be more irritable, uh, difficult, maybe more volatile. I remember hearing a um, a podcast on um, a soldier who had come back from Afghanistan. And he said, you know, I was anxious, somewhat traumatized and anxious. My solution to that was to get, get drunk and start fights,
2: mm. which yeah. he
1: found temporary relief from those symptoms. But of course, he ended up with, on the cycle, on the circle, mm. more problems because yeah, he, he was in that fight mode. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. a lot of people find themselves caught up in that particular cycle where they're, um, you know, they're doing things that are making the problems worse. Yeah. So um, yeah. they're in a yeah. fight mode or a freeze mode. So after some time, if we look at the bottom of the circle, we, we cycle down to the bottom of the circle. We have the chronic anxiety. It can turn into a or lead to a depression where the mood becomes low. Mm. We may start isolating ourselves. Maybe we're fearful in isolating ourselves with that anxiety. Mm. Uh, we need human contact. We're not eating right. We're not exercising mm. right. Um, yeah. We're having suicidal thoughts, possibly. Mm. And then you have the cycle of depression, which is a low mood. The mood goes down chemically, right? It's anxious and it goes down. Mm. And then it triggers negative thoughts. I call it stinking thinking. AA calls it stinking. Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah. Stinking thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which are a set of particular types of thoughts that if I were to give anybody who... Um, has suffered with depression before, they would recognize those thoughts because we all have them in them, in mm. us. Yeah. But what happens at the bottom of this circle is another little circle, another little cycle called the depression cycle. Negative thoughts, mood lowers. More negative thoughts, mood lowers. I'm isolated. Negative thought, mood lowers. And we get trapped in that cycle down at the bottom of the circle.
0: Absolutely, right? yeah. yeah.
1: So then we think, you know, if we're conceptualizing this circle, it's like how, we're, how are we going to break out of that cycle? How are we going to step out of that cycle step by step? Mm. So if we're going clockwise now and we're looking over to at the bottom and to the left clockwise at let's say 7 o'clock yeah. um, or what hour? 19 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for those of you on, on European <laughs> time, military yeah, 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 time, yeah, 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 right? Yeah is that we need to say, what is the first step that we can take here so that we've lapsed into this cycle, we've lapsed into the full symptoms. What's Mm. the first step here that we can take to help break the cycle? Well, for some, Um, It depends, of course, on. uh, but I'll name a few. For some, it might be they've already taken the first step. So we need to see what they've done to help themselves um, because we want to play on that strength. And everybody has helped themselves. Even some of the weird things that people do, I don't know if weird's the right way, but some some people are like, what? They did what?
0: Well, you know, it's interesting when you mention alcohol and like, you know, for an alcoholic, you know, Mm -hmm. obviously drinking alcohol in a funny kind of way, that is that person helping themselves, you know, because they are going to feel better at least initially.
1: That's exactly right. Well, why wouldn't, why would people do it? I mean, I don't want to sound like a Freudian here, but let's talk about the pleasure principle, right? Yeah. We're trying to get our, 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 our state, the Mm. state that we're in into feeling better and alcohol. Um, it, it's, I, uh, results in a release of serotonin it can be measured in the in the i think in the spinal fluid mm. and so but it's it's ultimately a depressant mm. so um it you know it 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 makes the cycle worse yeah. but yes of course we're doing when you fight there's a relief uh, a release of a you know adrenaline and endorphins and all kinds and we felt 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 high look mm. at the fight club right yeah, yeah, yeah. That movie. <laughs> um, a lot of the things that we do even people who are suffering very very severely and um, they engage in self-harm behaviors like uh, like cutting for instance they're actually doing that oftentimes to so these unusual behaviors they're often doing that um, to find relief from the symptoms relief from the anxiety or in cases of You know, a trauma or traumatic memory is trying to find relief. They're basically trying to change that emotional state or that mood state. Um, And so, uh, um, you know, the 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 strangest things usually are an attempt to feel better in a general sense.
0: Absolutely, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Or
1: feel differently.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, sometimes that's the thing. Like, if you've been feeling anxious all day every day for for you know for uh, the last week then you want to do something you want to snap out of that somehow and if right. alcohol or having a fight or whatever measure works then you know maybe that's feels like the right thing to do right. even though it has you know a negative consequence further right. down the line
1: well this is why psycho you know you, I bro- you know you brought up psychoeducation education is so important one of the interesting things about this interview with this um, soldier um, uh, who said that you know drinking and fighting was his solution to his anxiety is he said he unfortunately had his commanding officer was um, someone who uh, uh, was very negative about seeking mental health, mental health, you know, mental health help
2: mm,
1: um, mm. and saw it as a weakness. And so that was one of the reasons why this guy didn't seek out help at first, no, you know, yeah, because he felt it had, it had shame and stigma around yeah. it. You know, he was a tough soldier.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's ridiculous that, that we're still at a place in society where a lot of people still think like that. I think in general, it's got better yeah and like social media has helped with that yeah if you go onto instagram or, or facebook now you often see you know kind of memes and videos and and people talking about this kind of stuff and mm-hmm. that's really good but it's still there's still a stigma um and particularly for for men even more so I yeah. think
1: yeah I think so too and men are uh, at high risk they're at high risk for uh you know uh, deadly suicides, completion of suicide, and there's no reason for it. It's not a solution,
2: mm.
1: you know. Um, you know, and to get back to the stepping out of it, so we we look at those uh, on that on that circle. How can we break the cycle? Well, the first thing could be. Medication management. The another thing is getting support, mm.
2: um,
1: uh, learning particular tools to lower the you know lower the symptoms. Yeah. Resolving uh, and re-narrating um, um, you know some of the things that happened to us so that we see it a little bit different mm. differently. Yeah. Um, resolving um, thoughts or beliefs that are not serving us well, like we have to be perfect. I never had. I, I can't express what my needs are. You know, so it could be any number of steps that we, um, you know, that we take um, so that we have enough strength, then, right? We're taking the steps where we're leaving some of the symptoms, and then we have enough strength to walk up that side of the circle clockwise mm. and to be able to um, uh, reduce the stresses, resolve the problems, and um, sort of re narrate or. Um, resolve those emotional burdens and know that you know we're not alone in this and there's there's help out there so that we lower that intensity and the of that anxiety the things that are fueling the anxiety
0: yeah when you when you feel like you have support when you know that there's someone there on your side who's willing to help you that's yeah you know that's a huge part of it
1: yeah and the nasty thing about um, things like depression and anxiety is that they make us think that there's nothing out there to mm. help us. They, it makes us think that we're all alone. It makes us think illusions. I'd like to call them that. There's no one, that we're the only ones who have mm. experienced this before. It's just yeah. a, it's sort of the nature of. Um, that disease process as it okay. makes us think we're alone and then you combine that with social stigma. Yeah. Um, uh, it's and it's multiplied. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's really bad. That's why group psychotherapy, even though it's out of fashion, except for like self-help groups, have become, that's the sort of, um, the, the, uh, the, the the spawn of group psychotherapy yeah. Irving y- Yalom yeah 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 um, is self help and they it does a, it's tremendous I think AA is one of the most important social movements that have ever happened uh, absolutely yeah and because yeah. people go to AA they've been sober for thirty years they like the camaraderie you know yeah yeah and, yeah, they, yeah. They, yeah. and they focus on the cognitive aspects of you know how not to engage in the stinking thinking, absolutely. which can lead yeah. to a depressive state or a relapse.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Some of my uh, like favorite podcasters actually are are uh, AA members yeah. and uh, people like Russell Brand, yep. uh, Rich Roll. These people have just completely, you know, changed their lives and now live a, an you know, incredibly positive and meaningful life. Yeah, you know, really connected to their to their values and spirituality. And, right. And it's uh, it's amazing how yeah. the how AA is. So, so, uh, so helpful to so many people. But actually right now, some people are kind of um, dissing it a bit uh, and saying that it's kind of outdated and, and not useful. And actually, I think, you know, if you when you really look into it, it's an amazing organization and it's, mm. it's so helpful.
1: Right. I, if people are, I just will tell me what you think will be helpful for you. Yeah. You yes. let me know. <laughs> and we'll, we'll figure it
0: out. Well, it's true. That is true as well. Because yeah. it, at the end of the day, it's whatever you find helpful. If you go to AA and it doesn't sit with you, then you know it doesn't sit right. with you. And it's right. probably not going to work for you.
1: Right. Yeah. Or go to a different AA group. You might like that one. True. Maybe they have better snacks.
0: <laughs> That's probably the most important thing of all.
1: I think snacks are important. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, what advice would you give to somebody who was at the very bottom of the anxiety uh, circle that you were talking about mm-hmm. and also kind of stuck within the bottom half of the the depression, the smaller depression circle that was at the bottom of that? Like if they're stuck right there at the bottom, they're really lost in that depression. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they're, they're kind of their negative thought patterns are are keeping them from asking for help and they kind of feel that hopelessness that comes with depression, mm-hmm. like what advice would you would, would you give to, mm-hmm. to somebody like that?
2: Okay,
1: reach out, Re- reach out, you're not alone, and there's, it, right now your brain is telling you that you can't connect with people, and you can't reach out, but you can. And also if, let's say terrible things have happened to you, because terrible things do happen, um, You are not alone and you're a survivor too. You survive these terrible things, whatever they are, because there's some unusual things and some terrible things that happen. And not only have you, you've survived so far, you've done something right. So I reach out to a friend, reach out to a professional and figure out what you have done right and to survive so far and we'll work on that and make it better.
0: That's fantastic advice. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for that. That was very yeah, good.
1: Yeah, well, people people feel alone. Yeah. And, you know, over the years of working in circumstances that scare me, like the, the situations mm. sca- scare me, what I've learned is that people survive terrible things, whether it comes from an unfortunate genetic inheritance Hmm. so um um or from things that happen because uh they've been in terrible situations um or maybe even self-inflicted terrible situations we make mistakes we make big mistakes sometimes but but we can survive it yeah we can survive it and figure it out all is not lost
0: Okay, so for yeah. re- reaching out for that help and that support is Abs- absolutely key.
1: Yep. And you're, and remember, your brain is telling you that you are alone, but you don't believe everything you think right now.
0: <laughs> yeah. Don't yeah.
1: believe everything you think because your brain is making a mistake. There are people out there.
0: Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Yeah, that's so true. When you're really bogged down with anxiety or depression or whatever you're suffering with, it's... Your, your, your brain is telling you lies constantly. It's, tr- it's telling you the worst side of the story it constantly. Is. It's so biased. And to recognize that, even when you're in the throes of depression or anxiety, to recognize the fact that your brain is biased and it is telling you a one-sided story so that you can, t- you can at least say to yourself when you're feeling terrible, I know that this is just my brain telling me this. Uh- I do feel terrible, but... At least when you say that to yourself, it's, it's helpful, no?
1: Absolutely. And it's, that, that's exactly one of those I remember in group therapy, someone saying something that I tell myself that it's just my brain and I'm seeing through these particular lenses right now. It is not me and my brain is lying to me. You know, yeah. um, and it's um, it's it's hard to see alone. We can't see it. It's hard to step out of this alone. It requires another person. Mm. It really does. Um, part of why it requires another person is because we exist all in relation to other. Yeah. You know? yeah. And um, we survive. Infants don't survive. Well, we've learned with this puppy
2: how needy <laughs> he is.
1: But even infants require the consistent um. Uh, uh, gentle, loving, responsive care of another human being, mm. uh, one or two other human beings, in order to actually thrive to live. Yeah. So. Um. And so, we still need that now. Mm. So.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I. Uh. I think uh, connection is, is so important. It's it's yeah. one of the most kind of, undervalued things in relation to, to mental health.
1: Absolutely. And the whole basis, I mean, you know, we can kind of, you know, laugh a little bit about some of the outdated uh, Freudian theories when, um, you know, psycho uh, psychology was, was at its uh, infancy. Hmm. Um, but, you know, they did have something right at its core is that we had the talk therapy, right? Yeah. The talking cure. It was. I think it was called. Mm. And so we have to be in a, a dialogue and connect it to somebody else um, in order to um, walk, uh, to manage, to survive, and to walk ourselves out of uh, a terrible moment. Yeah. So, yeah. and we have to think of it as a moment. Yes. It feels like forever, but it's a moment. Could it be a year? Could be a couple years? Could be a month, you know? But it's a moment.
0: So having that awareness that you know ev- everything everything will pass in the end yes. is in- incredibly important.
1: It is. A, it is important. It is important. Yep.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing's ever standing still.
1: Right. Right. Yep. And we develop. We can develop more and more skills, even if something is a bit persistent, um, to be able to manage it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh,
0: okay. Do you have any? Uh, any, uh, if you could only give kind of one one piece of advice to, to people who are struggling with with anxiety uh, disorders, what advice would you would you give?
1: Hmm. One piece of advice. Hmm. Well, okay. Here's my like. Quick and dirty tip, okay, and and it comes from and and I don't know if it's exactly right, but my my quick and dirty, I always disliked physical exercise. I grew up in the South in the U.S. It was hot. Mm. Um, I happen to be very fair skinned, and I get overheated very easily. So mm. I, I was disinclined towards exercise. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but exercise and diet. Yeah. Um, uh, can help to, it's what intense exercise is one of those things that can help to um, uh, control or contain symptoms of anxiety. It has almost an immediate effect. So people are always like, I just can't stand this. I want. Um, I want to uh, get rid of this. And that's why, unfortunately, um, at, especially at one time in the U.S., a real proliferation of, of benzodiazepine use, which, yeah. by the way, yeah. um, is not a good long-term solution for anxiety.
0: Not at all, no. Yeah. Yeah. yeah
1: it, it'll bite you in the butt if you try to get out off of it. Mm. I've spent a lot of time with it, working with doctors trying to get people off these benzodiazepines wow. yeah, 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 and, yeah, yeah. and hypnotics right Um, as well ambient etc yeah 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 um and um so but intense intense exercise Mm. what can help temporarily to get some of that relief Mm. so so that's a that's a tip i like quick sometimes quick solutions um there's other uh, things that can get quick relief. Um, there's a something called a dive response, mm. um, where immersing, holding your breath, and immersing your face into icy cold water yeah. can um, can help to relieve. Um, I think it's called in dialectic behavior therapy. Oh, okay. tip. a
0: bit of a Wim Hof kind of method yeah. for dealing with. Right,
1: uh, can yeah. alleviate those acute um, symptoms. Yeah. Um, you know, making physio, you know, kind of physically changing the body, the breathing yeah the, you know oxygen absolutely so, yeah, yeah yeah yeah
0: no both both those methods I know personally for me really work yeah uh, exercises is, is an absolute game changer for what for, it was for me right. and it is still like if, if ever I'm feeling kind of you know a bit jittery or the anxieties kind of you know I wake up in the morning and I'm feeling like that anxiety right. then I'll just go for a run right and you know like I will feel come back and I'll feel so much better straight away right and be able to get on with my day and like you know maybe there'll be a little bit of residual anxiety but you know absolutely fine it's something that you're able to deal with and yeah there's something to do with the exercise your all the research shows that it's it's really beneficial for, for for anxiety it's like a natural antidepressant right and um and you know it doesn't have the side effects of a lot of the medication.
1: Right. So for all you couch potatoes out there like me, I could sit for I could sit for hours and not do anything. Um, you know, it was sort of my. I mean, I know the research says it, but my aha, uh, you know, uh, moment as well. So you don't need to run a marathon. Do not. So if your stinking thinking is telling you, well, I'm out of shape. I I, I can't do that. Well, sure, you can do something. You can walk out. Well, some people still have mailboxes at the end of their street, I suppose. You could walk out to the end of the block. Seriously, just get out and walk quickly around the block. Because if you're out of shape, what's awesome is the exercise doesn't have to last long, right? No, not at all. <laughs> because your not heart will go up very quickly
2: when you're out of
1: <laughs> shape and get yourself a little bit out of breath.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even just running up the stairs two at a time. Yeah. That's that's really helpful, and that oh, really gets your on, Rob, heart going. That
1: sounds like overachieving to me. I'm just <laughs> going to walk up. You're younger than I am. I'm just going to walk up those stairs. That gets my heart beating. So, you know, so to 15 to 20 minutes of, of ex- exercise, and you're going to get that response. And that could simply be walking for, uh, walking for quickly for somebody, or even not quickly. Yeah. Who knows? Absolutely. Right? If you can't walk, you know, I was working... Um, with someone who can't walk because of feet surgery, mm. you can blast up the music. You can get two, like, con- you know, maybe a half kilo or a quarter kilo of um, rice and put it in containers in each hands and then shake it to your favorite music, you know? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And um, get exercise that way. Yep, That will, au- that's exercise too. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that will, that, that's great for a quick relief of anxiety.
0: Okay, great tip there. Thank you very much, uh, Lisa. It's been fantastic talking to you. You're welcome. It's
1: been great talking with you. Yeah.
0: Remember, if you want to know more about me, you can check me out on Instagram, Robert James Coaching UK. You can go and join the Facebook group if you like, the Robert James Coaching Anxiety and OCD Support Group. And also you can check out my website, www.robertjamescoaching.com. Many thanks. And now just a quick reminder